Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. complain a little bit, I, I take it then that means. Yeah. Sure. I could care less. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, before we get started, I do have to make an announcement for the Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where you can talk with all of the other patrons and the Strickland staff. It's wonderful. We talk about many things. We had an extended conversation about the value of running backs uh, yesterday morning. It was fantastic. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier uh, that gets you access to my solo podcast, Strick and Roll, where I yell about the Knicks even more. More importantly, you get access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, Two of the best in the writing business, in the Knicks writing business, however you want to parse it, they are excellent. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, uh, let's get started. Uh, I just gotta say, it feels great to not have anything to worry about with the Knicks right now. Not that there's nothing to worry about, but there's nothing being discussed. There's really nothing happening with them, and that feels good because I I, I always feel like uh, when the Knicks have a bad season and it ends earlier than you hope, you're kind of waiting for like all these dramatic kind of leaks to occur. And I really thought we'd get some. This year um, hasn't really happened. Uh, you know, who, who knows what's going on behind the scenes? But you know, the last, the, the most uh, news we've gotten since the season ended is that Worldwide West attended a basketball game that Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell played in. Um, but I mean, look, like there's, I just mentioned Donovan Mitchell. Uh, that's a team that seems. Like, they have a lot of drama going on. And, um, you know, Mitchell's obviously a player of interest to the Knicks for a variety of reasons. I'm kind of of the opinion they're probably not going to deal with Donovan Mitchell. And not this year, anyway. And I think that in some ways, it's like, it's like fate has conspired to force the Knicks to be patient and operate like a normal franchise for an extended period of time. And I feel like we are going to get a full season now next year, or at least the start of next season of a lot of, okay, we've developed these guys for a year, two years, whatever. At this point, we got to now 
trust them, empower them to be the re- to to be the ones to take the f- to take the franchise the next step that it needs to take. Um, so I, I don't really know what the fuck you should respond to that, but if you want to respond to that, however you feel like, feel free. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree that I don't think Mitchell's going to get moved this offseason. Um, I think it's more likely we were talking about this, I think um, probably more likely that Gobert gets moved. Um, you know, there was an article in The Athletic that you know, kind of commented on, on that, how that relationship seems to be going a little bit south. <coughs> um, Gobert talked in the press conference um, about uh, press conference, but I think it was a post game about, you know, praising Devin Booker and how he's bought into, you know, an unselfish philosophy with the Suns and championship mentality. And, you know, especially you mentioned defense um, and Mitchell's camp took that as a shot at Mitchell, even though personally, I don't necessarily think like, I don't think Gobert might've meant it that way. Um, And he's, he has said multiple times he didn't, but it it shows to me a, um, that, you know, if, (laughs) if you project kind of things that you may be sensitive about onto other people, it probably says more about you than them. Um, but on the larger thing, it seems that that relationship may have soured to the point where it's just everything that possibly, you, you know, you this, right. When you have tension with someone that either you work with, maybe you're in a relationship with or something, even if, you know, you just tend to look at things with the most negative interpretation, it looks like the relationship is heading in that direction. If it's not already there with Gobert and Mitchell. Uh, and it sounds like maybe to appease Mitchell, they would trade Gobert. Um, I think that that the market for Gobert would be narrow um, because of that contract, and you really—I mean, he's going to be making forty-five million, I think, when he's thirty-three uh, as a as a seven-foot one, seven-foot-two big. I think he'll age better than maybe a guy like DeAndre Jordan because I just think his instincts are better. But um, you know, that's—I think the, a team that would trade for Gobert would have to convince themselves that they're going to win a championship in the next year or two. And have the the assets to make that move. Maybe Memphis is willing to trade in their young guys to do something like that. Um, maybe Dallas. Um, although I don't know if Dallas could put together that appealing a package for Gobert. But I wouldn't even bet on a Gobert trade, to be honest. I think they're probably going to try maybe to add, maybe they try to bring back someone like Gordon Hayward or, or do something along those lines um, to kind of give them a boost. But the reality is, I mean, they, they, they need to improve their defense outside of Gobert. Um, going back to the Knicks, <coughs> here's a question I'll throw back to you. Uh, I'm not convinced that not making a Mitchell move um, means that they're just going to let the young guys cook for a number of reasons. Uh, well, yeah, no- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. N- number one being, obviously, they still do have interest in Brunson, uh, which I don't think is mutually exclusive. I think Jeremy in particular, Jeremy Cohen, has made some really good points about how especially if Tibbs is a little bit more flexible or if some of the assumptions we're making about him are not as founded, you could still see IQ getting 25, 30 minutes a game with some minutes with Brunson, that kind of thing. What scares me more is the idea that Julius Randle comes back. Um, because I think that even if even if they don't bring in another player, if they just run it back, I don't see that as the young guys necessarily getting prioritized. <coughs> um, especially if they... If they just run it back, that is the the fear. From what they've said in, you know, from what some of the things that Rose and you know the front office has said, it seems like while they are very intrigued by the young players and that's definitely the priority, they've also said positive things about Randall. It 
seems like from what they're saying, if you take that on its surface, they're kind of they they like that grouping, uh, which I I just I don't see Randall allowing the kids to thrive really, um, or if unless a new coach comes in and forces them to, because I don't see Tibbs changing that. What are your like? Do you think there's a chance that both of them are back? Which I think is a nightmare scenario, not nightmare, but the downside scenario we've talked about a lot about this Knicks offseason. Both Randall and Tibbs. Yeah, coming back. Well, Tibbs is coming back. So the question is: Is do you think? Do you see that there's? A, I'm the confidence I had that they would move Randall is waning, and I kind of have a feeling that they're going to kind of pretty much run it back. Maybe add Brunson. Um. I still think he's gone. I have no reason to believe he'd still be here. Um, if they can't find a trade, maybe that's the only reason. But I kind of think they just have to force one. Um, you know, maybe they don't get the asset return that they covet or desire, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Uh, but I just think that... Lust um, after. Yeah. The asset return they lust after. That's the... That's, That's the PC term. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, I, I kind of just, I mean that that to me is the nightmare scenario that he's back. I just, I don't think that the franchise needs him anymore. Uh, I don't think he is particularly fond for what is expected of him from the fan base. Um, I think that was very evident all throughout the season. Maybe he needed to just get get away from ball and go to Italy and do whatever the fuck he's doing and eat fucking, you know, fucking whatever the hell he's eating over there and having a good time. I don't really care. Um, he's You can't go into this next season with this huge unknown factor of how is Julius Randle going to act. And on top of that, you know, we already have evidence that Tibbs will play him way too fucking much if he's here. And on top of that, he doesn't experiment and play him with Obi. So you not only lose the minutes of Obi at the four, but you don't get any benefit of trying to play small um, in a way that, you know, you might unlock something with Randall and Obi. And that's more a knock on Tibbs. But the fact of the matter is like, you're, they, they're picking Tibbs. Like they are choosing to stick with Tom Thibodeau. Which, I don't want to debate that to death. I personally would move on. I understand the argument for keeping him. Um, I just think it's it's a waste of time. But anyway, <clears throat> the fact of the matter is he's going to be here. If he's going to be here, you have to at, do your best. You have to do your best to adjust to his tendencies. And I don't think his tendencies necessarily are that bad as far as like trusting young players and stuff like that. I, I think he's weird with young players, but I don't think he's inherently lacks trust in them um, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and I do think he does a good job of development, which is its own conversation, which we've had many of time, many times. Um, but Randall being back would just what are you doing? What's what's the plan? Where are you going? What does the future of the team look like? He halts all of those kind of attempts to answer those questions. And I just yeah, like I don't think he's gonna buy into okay, I'm gonna be 
second banana to R.J. Barrett. Or, yeah, I'm going to only play 28 minutes a night because Obi's got to play. Like, I, I just don't see how that's tenable. Um, I don't think his contract is unmovable. I don't think his contract is an albatross. I think it's a contract that you can move if you're not, if you're willing to not take, get much back. And if he had played well last year, obviously that's a, that's not an acceptable return, but he didn't like, he played terrible. Um, again, like I, I can't, there's nothing good about his season. Not at all. Like, there's not one thing you could point to and be like, well, that was good. Nothing. Like, there was really nothing. I, I honestly can't think of one thing he did that I'm like, well, that was good. Like, he played fast for seven games and then just stopped. Like, who cares, you know? I do think I think the composition of his shot diet, that was encouraging that he did get to the rim more cut down on the mid-range. So, I have... Do you think he did that because... That was like a conscious choice of his to take more efficient shots. Because to me, what I think happened is he lost confidence in his jumper and started forcing stuff at the rim. That's what I think happened. Well, I think he did at least. And basketball reference can be funky. So yeah, uh, correct yeah. me if you have a better number on this. But I think his his finishing at the rim was at about 68%, I believe. Or it was yeah. high. Um, just just one, um, man, just one percent higher and he would have been in very good company. 63%. So I was off. Yeah. Um, so it was down from last year. He's at 66%. But 63% at 20 a quarter of his shots coming within three feet. I think we'd take that. But again, if that includes transition, you know, that's why this is basketball reference. So I know that cleaning the glass, b-ball index are probably a little bit better. Um, but I, I don't have access to those. Yeah. And I mean, like, here's my thing. is like, if this is the thing that we're going to... It's not hanging your hat on. I'm saying the idea yeah, that... You know, I, 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 well. I know... I know you're not saying, hey, like you're not hanging your hat on it. But, you know, our good friend Tyrese, who loves Julius Randle, um, this would be something he would hang his hat on. And I just don't care because, again, it's like, yeah, that's good. But, like, we have a guy who shoots 9,000% at the rim uh, and plays a way more conducive style, like a way more, like, just aesthetically pleasing and team-friendly version of basketball with a lot of similar skill sets to Julius. Um, the main thing he lacks, right, and then I'm obviously talking about Obi Toppin, is that he doesn't necessarily have the same dynamic off-the-dribble shot creation. But I'm just, like, I'm very unperturbed by that. I don't care. Like, I don't think that's a compelling reason to keep Randall or, or to even prefer him because... <laughs> I think we can say with some certainty now that the level of shot creation we saw from him in 2020, 21, you know, the year he finished all NBA, that was an outlier. Um, and do I think his jumper from mid range will be better? Yeah, I do. But like, again, you don't want him to be your hub. I right. Think. Exactly. And it's like, if he's not going to be the hub, is he going to buy into being less than that in New York? And I just don't see it. Like I really, I don't, don't even. I don't even think the issue is him buying him, though. I think he would actually. I think we're. I think a lot of the clips, a lot of the things he said, showed kind of a bruised ego. Um, but uh, and I think it's fair to say he didn't adjust to Fournier or even Kemba as much as he should have. Um, but I think part of that might have been on them too. I think you had players that defer a lot. One thing I did not like about IQ 
I think that we IQ when he plays with Randall, he does defer more. And I think the natural inclination is to say that, that that's Randall because he just always wants the post up. But a little bit of that is on the players because I've seen times where IQ has waved him off on a post up, right? So I think some you, of that. But you have to have the confidence to do that. Like, yeah, that's but, like that, a, but, but that's, that's kind of like a big ball as well. But like, I, I don't yeah. think you can, you cannot, I don't think that's all on Randall then. That's partly on the fact that IQ was a rookie or second year player, which is fine. Or Kemba is, you know, not confident in his ability anymore. That's fine. What I'm saying is that I would not attribute to Randall not tailoring his game. That I would attribute to those players not taking charge enough. I mean, but like it wasn't just it wasn't just IQ and RJ, right? Like it's also Kemba and Fournier, yeah, and 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 Fournier, who are not guys like like. But Kemba himself, I think, lost confidence in his game. Fournier himself, I think, is more like his game is he likes to play in a more motion oriented offense. So he's going to give the ball up to the post probably because he doesn't think it's going to be a black hole. So, Well, I mean, that, that's I, I just think that's that is kind of the entire point is it's not an issue to me that. You give the ball to Julius when he wants the ball, it's that when he gets the ball, he then takes like, you know, however long he takes to make a decision with it. It's never a quick decision, never. And the only quick decision he ever makes, actually, is he'll get the ball and run to do a dribble handoff with Fournier. That's it. But even, like, the Which dribble after handoff... After two times they do that, then the defense is like, oh, that's what he wants to do. So. Right, exactly. And, and not just that, but, like, he doesn't... He doesn't really, like... I, I don't know how to phrase this, and I don't know how exactly, like... When you watch Randall run a dribble handoff with Fournier, and then you compare it to like Obi running the same exact action with Fournier, there's such a big difference in like the kind of uh, what's the right word for this? There's there's a very big difference in the flow of how it happens and and the rhythm that they play with each other, like play off of each other, right? Like with Randall, it feels very like very very sharp and it's like it's like we're running a dribble handoff right now and that's it like there's nothing if we run the dribble handoff either you're gonna get a shot and if not like we'll figure out like you will just run some you just throw me the ball in the post that's it whereas like when obi runs it it's like okay we're gonna run this dribble handoff oh that doesn't work come back we'll do it like a, a second one or you can pitch it to me then I'll move it to this other side. Like, there's just more that occurs. Obi also has that kind of fake move on the dribble handoff, right? right? He kind of mixes it up, so it keeps keeps the defender off balance. And um, it's kind of like, it's like a decision tree, right? Where it's like, it's like if you compare what happens off of dribble handoffs that Randall runs versus that Obi runs, it's like when Randall runs a dribble handoff, you're either going to get a shot for the guy that he's running it with, or he's going to turn that into a post-up and ask for the ball, right? Obi, when he runs it, it's like, there's like seven different options that can come out of that, right? There's so much more variability of his choices. And I think with Randall, it's like the way he plays, it's it's almost like like a very, you know, we, we like it's always a, it's a thing, right? Where like we've talked about this where people present playing Randall and Obi as like a, it's like a binary where it's like you can only play one, you can never play both and that's purely because of how Tom Thibodeau has kind of like framed the argument. It, Randall almost presents things as like a binary choice, right? It's like 
I will either shoot the ball or pass the ball to assist, and that is it. Like, that's it. There's no other options for him. And that kind of trickles down into the offense's issues as a whole. And so, like, I guess to go back to your point about is it Quickly's fault? Like, yeah, sure, it is Quickly's fault. Um, but I think. Not just like, him, by the way. I think the yeah. entire roster defers to. Yeah, and I just. But I also think, like, look, we saw Julius's behavior this year, right? This was not a guy who was. He didn't seem particularly fun to be around. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah, like, I think. Although I will say the teammates still seem to speak pretty highly of him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody hates him, but I also don't think any of them, if you gave them truth serum and asked, you know, how was being teammates with Julius Randle this year, I don't think a single one would be like, I loved it. It was great. You know, like, no. You know, like, fucking the guy, how many times did he have to be pulled away by multiple teammates and coaches because he's going crazy at a, a, a ref or a opposing player? I mean, run that entire thing with Gobert at the end of that Utah game where he's just like, losing his shit for no apparent reason. Um, anyway, my point is, like, I just think it, it's really hard to play with a personality like that. And and a very small example of this would be, like, I think uh, if you watch kind of, like, the games towards the end of the year where Obi started getting more minutes, right? And obviously that came because Randall wasn't playing. But, like, you could see him express frustration at times with the de- the decision-making of others. And I don't mean that as like a, he was yelling at them or anything like that, but it's like, look, we've all played ball where it's like, if somebody takes a stupid shot, you're kind of like, or like, you know, you're, you're open, you're clapping for the ball, like stuff like that. Right. Like those are the kind of things I see, but I view that as like productive because it feels like now you have this group of players where not one person is perceived by others and obviously by himself as like better than and it it creates like a better group environment where it feels like players are able to be i don't want to say critical of each other but more demanding of each other maybe i'm not sure if i'm if you get what i'm saying um and i just like I mean, I don't see that when Randall's in the game. It feels like he can do so much stupid shit and they're all just kind of like resigned to the fact that, well, he he has to be allowed to do this stupid shit because he's Julius Randall. He's the best player on the team. Um, and, and I get why that dynamic exists because... I'm, there's two sides to it. Though. Part of it is the inexperience of the other players um, or the fact that they are more role players who are, you know, like Fournier even, is he's used to playing off of Vooch that way, right? Um, Kemba is now trying to adjust to the fact that he's not the Kemba Walker he was, and then the other guys are mostly young players. So, um, like, it's the, by the way, I'm not knocking IQ by saying you defer too much. I just, that's what you expect for players that aren't Anthony Edwards or something. And young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess just my point is, like, it can be on them, but I also think some of that is related to just kind of, like, how Julius carries himself and how he approaches things. And I understand it, like, why that dynamic exists, given the All-NBA season he had last year. But, like, he's not that guy. You know, like, he's just not. And it's it's asinine to continue down this path. Um, and, you know, uh, I just... 
Yeah, I, I just, I, I just, I, I really hope he's not back. I but think all he of that back. All of that said, yeah, I don't. I want to focus on the second part of that. I think we'd agree. I don't want him back either. Um, I think the downside, if I'm painting a worst case scenario, it's that without a true initiator, um, you know, they, you know, I mean, one thing we were shel- we wanted to see more kids, but the reality is we were sheltered from performances where the kids play all game, and then um, you know it's a tough defense. IQ can't really get separation. RJ's game is too predictable and they have a good rim protector. And then the, the offense stagnates, stagnates as a result of that, not from people not trying or moving, but you know, you've seen what Boston can do to teams. You've seen those kind of things. Right. Um, and then, you know, Randall goes somewhere else and in a better role produces a lot. Right. And you now longer, you no longer have Randall as that option against those teams when the young guys are still struggling to lean on him. Right. And I think that would be the picture that, the, the Knicks front office might pain is that you know there's there is a downside right but if if I just don't but I, I I kind of like reject that downside I don't think it's real um, first of all Knicks right, so, offense so, so let me just finish but that yeah. that would be part of it the other thing is I don't think they've said anything to indicate like the things they've said give me this kind of unease that do I think he should they should trade him yes but that they won't unless they get a really good deal which I don't think they will yeah I mean. They just need to. They they need to. I mean, is there anything you've seen them say that would tell you that would indicate to you that they're gonna, um, that they're going to that that's how they're leaning beyond just you know our kind of view of the situation. Well, I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting that um, in Leon Rose's letter to the fans at the end of the season that Randall was not mentioned at all. Actually, the only guys that were mentioned. Now, I don't. I don't even know if he mentioned anybody by name, but he mentioned very specifically, re- repeated like called the young core. He mentioned the young core like four or five times. Said that that exact phrase, and then he stated how the team has eight guys on rookie scale deals or something like that. So he like made it a point to drive home the youth on the roster. Uh, if you listen to his, uh, you know the crime he committed by having only answered questions by Mike Breen and not by the wonderful New York media, uh, who would have definitely really, you know, took him to task because they're such hard asses. Um, I thought it was interesting how he mentioned kind of like, uh, he talked a bit about the youth on the roster again, and really about how like these guys have developed over the course of the year, and that's something that they were like really, really optimistic about and bullish about moving forward. And then when they asked him about Julius, he was just kind of like, "Yeah, you know, it was a tough year, twenty ten five, still like, th- like you know." Tibbs also mentioned the twenty ten and five thing in his end of season press conference. He also went out of his way to talk about how the players have developed, the youth have developed. Obviously, we got that leak from whatever Mark Berman that Tibbs apparently regrets not playing the young guys more. Berman has also said that he'd be surprised if Julius is back uh, next year. Uh, you know, I just kind of think it it's over. And and I there's nothing concrete, because you're never going to get a concrete answer, right, in public. Like, are you looking to move this guy? You know, they, even if they and did, the even if... Quote, you know, yeah, sorry, the Tibbs quote, to, to be honest, the Tibbs quote sounds a lot like a certain character we've discussed a lot over the course of six seasons, tried to change many times. Um, and Tony Soprano never changed. Tiger doesn't change his stripes. 
Uh, and I think that's how I see it with Tibbs. And I don't, so I don't think that quote indicates he would be comfortable with a Randall move. And if, if they did move Randall, I think he'd want other vets. Um, I mean, that's fine. If he wants other vets, that's cool. I don't really give a shit. Um, I don't think the front office should give a shit because they'd still have plenty of vets. If they moved Randall for some shitty expiring contract, they would still have Evan Fournier on the roster. They'd still have Alec Brooks on the roster. They'd still have Derek Rose on the roster. They'd still have Todd Gibson on the roster. If that is not enough vets for Tom Thibodeau, that sounds like a Tom Thibodeau problem. He can deal with it. Um, it'll be fine. I don't think he... He also is like constantly tried to... Met, tried to pretend that Julius is part of the young guys. It's like, no, dude. He's fucking, like, 28. He's going to be 28 next year. Like, he's young in, like, the world. Like, it, it, in, in terms of the real world, he's young. In terms of the NBA, he's not young. He's not a young guy. Um, so, I don't know. I, I would be really surprised if he comes back. I also think, like, if we're talking, and this is where I, I kind of, there's a lot of people that are like, well, you can't just give them away for nothing. You got to get something of value back. I hear that to an extent, um, but I also think, like, part of the value of him not being here is how it, it appreciates your own asset. Like, you drafted Obi Top in eighth overall. You know, like, it behooves you as an organization at some point to create a clear pathway for him to get major minutes. And, like, the longer Randall is here, the less opportunity there is for that. Because I promise you, it does not matter how well Obi Toppin plays. It doesn't. If Julius Randall is here, Julius Randall will start. There is no world where Obi Toppin starts over Julius Randall on the same team in New York. It's just not going to happen. Like, Tibbs is not going to bench Randall to start Obi, even if Obi comes out and he looks like fucking you know, prime Amari Sotomayor or something next year. It just it will not happen. Um, so I think you have to maybe, if you're the front office, you need to view it as like, okay, maybe we're not getting the return in trade that we would want, but like we are also going to benefit because Obi will play more and that will therefore, that that's like part of the equation here. And that's part of the value of trading him. But there is that um, other idea that with more minutes, right, and against especially top defenses, like, Randall does give you that if all else fails, we have someone to throw the ball to. Maybe Cam goes into that. Maybe RJ goes into that. Maybe they get someone in Brunson or, or someone like Brunson who can kind of take that load. But that is what they would be missing. So the downside would be that, you know, they really struggle a lot next year. The Knicks this year. We're 22nd in offensive rating. They're 22nd. So they sucked on offense this year. I do not think a reason to move... Like, if there is a reason to keep Julius Randle, it should not be that our offense will suck. Because the offense sucked a lot with him. It has sucked every year with him. And this year, especially, it sucked more were when they he was last on the year? floor. Sorry. They were 23rd last year. Wow. Um, they actually improved on offense. Yeah. They, I will say they started off the year really well. Yeah, they started yeah. off hot. They were they were hot from three. Everything was okay. Um, I I also like I just don't think it works out like that. Like I don't think it actually bears out that they miss his shot creation. Like one, he it helps because he was not efficient this year. So it's not like replacing his his shots was a difficult task in terms of replicating the shitty efficiency of. Um, 
But, like, I I think these guys can't, like, you know, this idea that we haven't seen enough from them against elite defenses or something like that, like, I don't, I think that's bullshit. Um, like, they went out and beat Miami. We haven't beaten Miami in two years before this. We haven't beaten them under Tom Thibodeau. Um, that was without Julius Randle. And we, I think we scored the most points we scored against them this season. Uh, whatever it was, 100 and something. 111. I'm pretty sure that's the most we've scored against them in two seasons under Tom Thibodeau. Um, that's an elite defense. That's a defense that switches a lot. That's a defense that has an elite defensive center. Um, and they went down there to Miami and they beat the shit out of them in the fourth quarter. Was that, and, and, and not just the fourth quarter, but if you watch the game, RJ struggled a lot in that game. Obi was great. Obi was great in that game. Um, and obviously, like, you know, I wa- I'm watching the playoffs. Like, we're all watching the playoffs right now. And when I'm watching it, I definitely st- have, like, moments where I'm like, what would, could quickly do this in this situation? Could RJ do this in this situation? How would Obi look in this situation? Of course. I always ask myself that. what would quickly do, by the way, over the course of my <laughs> daily life. So. Um, but, like, I, I always, of course I have those thoughts. But, but as far as, like, at least if we're just talking about the regular season, like, I, I'm not worried about it at all, to be honest. Uh, I think they would be fine. I think they've proven time and again without Randall that they can be fine. Um, if they have a weakness, it's probably that they are a little bit too three-ball dependent without him. But I think they get really good shots. I think they get good quality threes for the most part. I think they play a better brand of ball. I think that if we believe in their talent, that it's not an unreasonable bet to look at where they were at the end of this year and project that all three of those guys in particular, RJ, Quickly, and Ovi, can take another step, two steps or whatever, in their progression. And, and you that, have wild cards. Like, I think Grimes will too, by the way. Probably yeah. a little more on ball. Uh, you have Cam too. Um, yeah. and, and your guy. I mean, I don't know how, what his path to minutes is. That's always like a really big thing for me. But, but Deuce yeah, is still here. Deuce, I mean, I, when Deuce had extended minutes, I loved his impact on the offense. I thought the Houston game, people can say they weren't a great team. He, had, he ran the offense like a true floor general. Uh, it was so much that a noted friend of the pod, um, in an attempt to slander quickly, Tommy D was saying <laughs> how much Deuce looked like a real point guard, and I, I don't. I think you know, I think does... I, we should. He should invite himself back on the pod again. Yeah, we could talk about that, but I, I mean, I, I, I just don't know what the path to minutes is. To your point, here's what I'll, I'll ask. I think that it's fair to say I think there'll probably be higher variance um, than last year. Uh, probably there's probably going to be more stinkers. I think. I, I, I do like the potential of all those guys, but they still are young, developing guys. We see it with a team like Minnesota that does have a lot more offensive talent. But I think that when everything is flowing, they're going to put up some performances. They're going to have fewer of the performances against bad teams where you're just like, man, like we just didn't move the ball and play like shit. Um, the other question I'd have is, if they do move Randall, does that make you more kind of willing or even hopeful that we sign a guy like Jalen Brunson? Because I still would be wary of shot creation. I would like someone who... Like, um, oh, sorry, I have two questions. So there's that, because I would be wary of shot creation without, unless RJ takes a major leap in the mid-range, I, I don't see him, like, I, I think they tried that, and I think he showed he was capable, but I still think of him more as a guy that does that um, for stretches as opposed to, like, a true go-to guy. Um, Cam, a lot of people think he has that. I think 
I, I'd still like him to continue to grow as an off-ball player and pick his spots than be asked to do that. So maybe, do you, one, does that make it more likely or, or palatable to you to get a guy like Brunson? And the second question I have is, you talked about, you know, they become three-point heavy. IQ started to get to the rim a lot post-All-Star. Coincidentally, and I think this happened the most in the games where Randall didn't play, it happened a lot when Randall didn't play. Do you think those two things are all at all related? Because Randall can shoot, but, or, I mean, in theory, and, and Randall does take threes, but he is in the paint so often. Do you think IQ getting to the rim more, or other players as well, had there was a space improvement? So those are the two questions. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the spacing definitely is better without Randall, and that's part of it. It creates easier driving lanes. Um, you can watch any of those games without him. Just watch, forget the games without him. You can watch games with him. That even drives it home more, right? Uh, where you see instantly how the offense, forget the way they play, but just the spacing improves drastically when he's off the floor because there's nobody demanding post-ups at the elbow, right? And it's great that Julius has a keen understanding of who he is at the elbow, um, but it's not good. <laughs> it's it's not good. Uh, and, and to go... Your first question was, you know, would Brunson kind of help us? Is that more or less? Well, if we did get rid of Randall, we have a lot of guys that play well in space, push the ball. Is it worth trying to get now a primary shot creator like Brunson or someone else? Yeah, no, I I think so. I think, I think. um, And it would be, you would be more into that, I guess, if they they got rid of Randall. Yeah, I mean, look, like uh, my thing with Brunson has always been that I think Quick was really good. I would like to just bet on him and see what happens. If you can get Brunson, though, like even in the world where I believe quickly can get to that level of performance or beyond, like I don't think that's a move that I could, especially given like what we've seen now in the playoffs. And I know Utah is not a great defense at all, but like when you see a player's ability to do the type of things that Brunson did in that series. Uh, it has to change your valuation and and your viewpoint on the player, right? And and I I am you know I'm a big enough man uh, to 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 adjust my my valuation. Like I, I think that that does change things. Like he fundamentally showed, like, hey, look, like in a playoff series, albeit a first round series against a force a five seed that really is falling apart at the seams, but like. They were without Luka Doncic, right? They were out their best, their best player, one of the best players in the NBA, um, potentially a future MVP. Like they're without him for the first three games, and Brunson carried their offense. And it wasn't just like he was scoring; he was scoring, and their offense was humming. Like they were blitzing these guys, right? And that has to change your valuation. So I think they, the, the, the front office, if they can get Brunson, uh, you know. I have to respect that. I have to. And I do think that he would help the offense, especially without Randall, because he's an elite inside the arc scorer for a guard, especially. But, like, he is really, really good. Uh, he also is a true three-level scorer, which the Knicks do not have right now. Like, if you were looking at our roster and you said, who is the best three-level scorer on your team? It's probably Cam, to be honest. It's maybe Cam or it's, like, Burks. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's just, you yeah. And Burks, Burks is really the free throws. Uh, he shot forty percent at the rim, which is honestly, I would love to see a player that's late career Alec Burks shooting and early career Alec Burks athleticism. Um, but it's 
Cam Burks IQ looked a little bit more like that at the end, but he still has a ways to go at the rim. Um, yeah, I I would one hundred percent agree. They lack a three level scorer. Um, yeah, and I think I think Brunson gives you that. Even though, like, I, I do think people need to. Like, I've seen there. There's been a kind of like growing, and I understand it. Like it, through that series, there was kind of a growing like. Is Brunson better than Donovan Mitchell? Brunson's better than Donovan. Like, no, he's not. Like, he's really good, and I think that he's a better defender. I've never been too sold on his defense, but he's a better defender. But like, if you're talking about an, just an offensive player, like, no. I don't care that Mitchell shot like shit. Like, the odds are, and the sample size, he's a four is, level scorer, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah like, guy. like Mitchell is th- he? He is. It's a different. It's it's totally different. It's completely different. And we can say it was probably stupid of Utah to not give the type of attention that Dallas gave Donovan and Mitchell. It's probably stupid on their part to not give that attention to Brunson during the first three games of that series when Luca was out. So that that was their own fault. But he took advantage of that, and all credit to him. Um, but like, I, I just, I, I think that like what he brings really helps us. In a world without Randall, especially, I would not like him with Randall. I think that fit would be really clunky. Uh, I think they'd get in each other's way a lot, and yeah, I just, I just wouldn't want that. But if we just brought him in, like, yeah, I think that team could be really fun. And I'll tell you this: like, if the Knicks can dump Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel's contract somewhere, I don't think they, Alec Burks is a dump. By the way, I think I don't either. Valid. But yeah, I mean, whatever. My point is, if you can move off their money. The Knicks don't have enough money to give him a basically like a four ninety million dollar contract. Um, at Which that would point, really you, tighten the screws on Dallas to match that. Yeah, or, and also like, you know, you could probably move Rose for value too. Like, the Knicks can clear enough money to get to have the space to sign Jalen Brunson outright. I think fairly easily. I think they know that, and I think it's being undersold for reasons that. Dallas would like to undersell it, but I think the Knicks could do that. Um, and I do think, think if if they did do it, I'd be fine with that. Like I think that that's that's a good use of your cap space. Uh, I think he brings a skill set that we don't have. And is he perfect? Is he elite? Is he exactly what we need in all capacities? No, but like you can't let perfect be the enemy of good or better in this case. And I do think Jalen Brunson makes us a better team. Um, how much better? I'm not sure, but I do really like the idea of like, look, we, we've talked about this a bunch. One of the reasons I've like, I thought, you know, if you can get Donovan Mitchell without giving up a bunch of your young guys, why it's worth it is because I like our young guys. Like, I think they need some type of pull up shooting threat, uh, off the dribble that really opens things up. And also somebody who can just a, a better scoring threat. Uh, and I think Brunson provides that. Is he the type of pull-up shooter that Mitchell is? Obviously not. Definitely not from three. Uh, but I mean, I mean, look. But he mid-range? gives you the mid-range. Like, yeah, yeah. The Knicks obviously have good pull-up shooters. It's the mid-range pull-up game, right? Yeah. So, the and just general. Pull-up, and, and, yes, exactly. Uh, but it's also just like general offensive gravity, right? Like they don't really have somebody who, once he crosses half court, teams are like super, you know, keyed in on him, right? Uh, quickly could maybe develop into that guy just given his shooting range. Uh, you know, RJ could if he takes the leap as like more of a dynamic off the dribble on ball creator. But like they're not there yet. 
Brunson isn't obviously in the caliber of a Donovan Mitchell or name a star, but like he is a guy who can punish defenses if they don't key in on him. And he's shown that over the course of the season and again in the playoffs, which is why like I think it's really weird how there are people that are like just discovering that Jalen Brunson is good at basketball. Because last year, I, I remember this on Twitter. I remember I like I was like, man, I would I would call Dallas and see if they would, you know, if they would give us Brunson for their 2023 pick back. And people were like, how could you do that? Like, why would you? And I'm like, because Brunson's good. Like, I don't know. And that what pick is going to be in the late 20s, probably. Yeah, right? it was like, it was so weird. But like, I, I thought it was, you know, so I, I've, I've gone all over the place on like whether the Knicks should pursue Brunson. Uh, but I've always thought he's a good player. You know, I thought that for a while now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm firmly back on like, if you can get Jalen Brunson this offseason, I think it's completely good and fine to do that. And um, I would support that. Even though I would, again, like I, I, I do wonder if Tibbs would really consider playing him and quickly together much. I, I don't, I'm doubtful of it. I under I, I I don't disagree necessarily with the reasons why I do think that would be a pretty undersized backcourt, but um, but they're both long. I think Brunson has like a six seven wingspan. Quickly's as we know like six eight six nine. Yeah, so. it's just it it. But size does matter to like pure size does matter to an extent, especially for Tibbs. Like I, I'm just saying, I I understand his reservations for it, and I don't I don't think they're like it's not like stupid boomer. Just you know what I mean. Like it's not like an illogical belief to have. Um, but either way, like if that's the biggest concern, then you should probably just do it. Like you know what I mean. Like if that's your biggest concern, then I don't think that's. It's a not a good reason to turn down. Talent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, if you do get Brunson though, and if they do get Brunson, I think it becomes even more imperative that Julius is gone. Like if you bring in Brunson and Julius is still here, that'd be a huge problem in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um... I think after, I mean, Prez is of the opinion, at least, um, that, um, you know, quickly, not pairing quickly as much maybe with a, with at the two or playing him with, with an undersized backcourt. He did play him with Deuce quite a bit against second units, so I could see that happening if they got Brunson. Um, and the other part of that, I think, is that it's really the rim pressure, right? So if Brunson is giving you that, Tibbs might be more willing to live with an undersized backcourt. Um, especially, you know, if they are going to, to kind of man up, he does like size. So, but, you know, I think because he was willing to play, he's been willing to play Rose and quickly together. He's been willing to play Rose and Deuce or Deuce and quickly together. Um, you know, that would be somewhat of a mitigating factor. And maybe, maybe it is less just about the defensive size. And I think his thing is like, you either have to give him size or rim pressure at that position. And if Brunson is at least giving him one of those things, maybe that, that makes it easier to play. Um, yeah, 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 no, I, I definitely agree. Uh, so, I mean, I, so in that case, right, if, if Brunson's getting 33 as the primary point guard, quickly gets 15 at, as the backup point guard, and then maybe another 10 a game as the backup two, um, you know, behind um, whoever it is, RJ or, or Fournier or wherever they end up playing there. Um, you know, if he's at 25 to 30 minutes next year, I think that that's fine for his third year. Um, I think that's probably enough to keep this camp happy. And, um, you know, even a guy like Anfrey Simons, I don't think he was getting a lot more than that until this year, right? So, The NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. Get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. His second and third year in the league, he got 21 minutes and 17 minutes. This year, he went up to 30 minutes, largely aided, aided quote-unquote, by the fact that Lillard and, um, and CJ were out for so long, right? So, um, you know, quickly... He can still be in pretty good shape um, if, as long as he gets maybe 25 minutes next year. And I think that Tibbs would be willing to play him enough next to Brunson to make that a feasible thing. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, I do... Uh... Uh, last thing on... Do you think yeah. if they do get Brunson, do you think they almost have to move Derek Rose at that point? Yeah, I don't see how... You know, like, well, what are you doing then? Right, Rose is... There's just too many guards then that need minutes. Uh, you'd be cutting into quickest minutes, and you'd effectively create zero opportunity. Like there, there would be no opportunity for Deuce to ever play. And I don't. I'm not saying that as like they have to prioritize Deuce McBride. Like at some point, obviously he just has to. We'll see what happens. You know, like you need to get lucky sometimes. Whatever it is, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying more like. There's a trickle down effect if you keep Rose that hurts you, and I don't think it makes sense. Like you already are getting dribble penetration from Jalen Brunson, which is like the biggest thing that Rose gives us, right? That we don't have on the roster otherwise. Is that enough? Like you know, that's its own thing. It's always nice to have more players that can can dribble penetrate. Rose is obviously very effective. Rose is also very injury prone. Um, I think. You would have to move him in that scenario. You definitely do because otherwise, again, quickly. I don't. I'm not trying to see quickly's minutes reduce because Tom Thibodeau wants to play Derrick Rose 22 minutes a night uh, in the year 2022. You know what I mean? Like that's just crazy. I think that makes no sense and would be really detrimental to the organization. Um, kind of in a similar vein, though. Uh, I I wonder. I, you know, watching the Celtics just dispatch uh, the Nets very quickly. I, I think, like, last year we had a discussion about, you know, had Ainge fucked up and had he missed the timing of, like, whatever, like, to, to put together a competitive, contending team. Um, I was of the opinion that he had. You were more skeptical. It seems like you were right, right, at this point. Uh, I think the big thing for me was that I was higher on Tatum. Um and I think that's what's really and Brown, but especially Tatum, because I think Tatum last year was still not finishing well at the rim, even earlier this year. That's I think that's ultimately like that is the criticism of Ainge, right? You could not you had a million draft picks, you could not get one star, like one true star that can be the best player on a championship team. 
I think that that is going to be the litmus test. Can Tatum be that guy? Right now, it looks like it. I don't know if you'd agree with that or if that's an oversimplification. But yeah, no, I think I think Tatum has made a big leap. But what I think is really interesting about them, and it's something that for the Knicks to consider. Uh, and I I just want this to be clear. This is not an argument to keep Julius Randle. By the way, I don't think he is. He is not part of this group that I'm kind of going to talk about. But like. Ainge caught a lot of shit, and I believe he, he deserved to catch a lot of shit for like keeping the roster, keeping overvaluing his guys, and not making moves, and constantly running the same team back. And oh, he almost made a trade. He almost like all of that, right? Um, and I I don't think he would have like I think the biggest difference between this team and last year's team for them, on top of Tatum making a leap. Is also like I think Stevens has shown um, a willingness to just not try to win every trade, but make, but also like willing to just make trades that move the margins in a way that push the team forward. And so, like I don't think Ainge would have done the Kemba trade that they made, which effectively moved the first out in last year's draft to get Kemba off the books and bring in bring Horford back. I don't and that move has been great for them. Horford's been great for them. Um I don't think he would have made the Derek White trade, right? Like trading a first for Derek White. I don't think that he would have signed Schroeder and then moved him to get Tice at the deadline. Like I don't think he would have done these margin moves that have really one added depth to their team. And two, like, moved the margins in places they were losing, effectively, losing those minutes, right? Like, you got a good backup. I mean, they just won a playoff series against Brooklyn with Tice starting at the five. You know, like, they didn't have that player on the roster before the trade deadline. And so I think Stevens has done a really good job of making those margin moves because, like, they don't... Yes, these guys are young, right? Tatum is young, Brown is young. But they're also good. Like they, and they're so good that you should not be wasting time anymore like because you want to make the perfect asset trade. Uh, like sometimes it's okay to just not win a trade because you actually want to make the trade. And I think Stevens has done a good job of doing that and that's helped push their team forward. But the other thing I want to get to, and I do think Ames deserves some credit for this, is... Like, there was an idea, at the if you go back at the end of last year, there was, an, and even the start of this year, right? There was a lot of, like, man, they're just overvaluing Grant Williams. The Jays are never going to play well together. Marcus Smart is whatever Marcus Smart is. Like, you know, Peyton Pritchard is okay, but he doesn't really move the needle. There's a lot of this kind of discourse. I was, I'm sure I was part of it. Um, but, like, We've kind of seen now with the margin moves they've made and with a new coach that all of a sudden a lot of these guys are good and they fit well together and they have chemistry because they've played together for a long time. And I kind of guess like in a very roundabout, long-winded way, my question for you is like not that can the Knicks replicate this kind of thing that we've seen from the Celtics, because I don't think, as good as I think R.J. Barrett is, I don't think he's a Jason Tatum-level player. I don't think he has that talent. Do you think he's a Jalen Brown-level player? Yeah, I do. Potentially. Um, 
Yeah, I, I definitely do think that. And I actually, I kind of do think Jalen Brown is a bit overrated, especially on defense. Um, but, and by the way, I, I hope that's not seen as a knock. Like, I do think he's like an all-star caliber player. So not really insulting him. Uh, but like, do you think that is an argument, or not an argument, but do you think that is a team that this front office and this organization should look at? And while it is tempting to, after especially after a disappointing season, right, 37-45, kind of feel like the roster is in a waiting period almost, right, where you're like trying to figure out what some of these guys need to do. But like, do you think that's a team and an organization that the Knicks could look at and be like, you know what, like, we like the guys we've picked. We like the guys we've developed. We want to see what these guys can do. We want to give them a chance together over a longer period of time. And do you think that, like, this group of young players the Knicks have, uh, is it a team that you think is capable of making a push into, you know, not necessarily a contender with the existing pieces on it, but a solid playoff team in the East? Uh, the Knicks? Yeah. So your question is, with the pieces on it, is this kind of... Yeah, like, do, like, do the Knicks even need to make a drastic move or anything? Or do they just need to, like... Again, like, like I don't consider signing Brunson a, a drastic move. I don't know if you do, but I don't consider that a drastic move. I do, move. but yeah. I mean, would I you mean, consider I think, getting Fred Van Fleet a drastic move? Well, I, I think it's, like, it's drastic in terms of impact, but not... It's not, like, a, a move that you're going to be... So you're saying like an Anthony Davis type trade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's like a it's not a drastic move to me. I, 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 I just feel like I've seen a lot of Knicks fans that are like want them to make a drastic move, and I find myself somewhere in the middle where I'm like, I really like the young pieces they have, and I don't want them to make any drastic moves that moves those guys. I do want them to make decisive moves though to put them in better positions and maybe have better pieces around them. And that's kind of like what I think Brad Stevens has done in Boston, where he didn't make any drastic moves, but he made decisive moves that really put those guys, Jason Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, in positions where they were the ones doing the heavy lifting. And now, as they've progressed as players, you're starting to see like what that looks like. And I guess that's kind of more or less what I have wanted the Knicks to do. But they've, um, they've kind of been, that's kind of been their MO, right? They have been making the moves on the margins. Uh, I think the best example of that is the Derrick Rose trade, right? That is probably the trade that pushed them from a nice story and a team that's competent and no longer a laughingstock to um, and it, what ended up being the fourth seed, right? Um, greatest team in the history of New York. Yeah, so, um, so and I think that Fournier is not a margin move, but Burks, right? Uh, locking him up on a reasonable contract three for 30 years. I still think that that is, that, that's a move I'll give the front office credit for it. Whatever his usage and how he was misused was, um, you know, you know, the, the guys like the, the, how they've used the draft assets, right. Um, even the stuff like the Ed Davis trade stacking up. The, so so I, I guess that's not marginally making the team better to the same extent you're talking about. Um, but a guy like Cam, right. Who maybe takes an upside. I think that's been there. They haven't really been, they haven't tried to, send a ton out in trades. And um, even at the time, like the Rose trade wasn't viewed as some steal. And, you know, if Rose did play 25 games this year and Dennis Smith Jr. became something, maybe that would have looked at as more of an even trade, right? 
so I do think that's the approach. I think that they're kind of have the opposite issue. Uh, so before that, I'll, I'll say that Boston, I think there's more than just the margin moves they made. Uh, we've talked, I mean, you, before the season, you were higher on him than I was, or higher on the subjects than I was, because they had so much COVID. They were hit harder with, by COVID than anyone else, right? Um, yeah, I, I didn't even ironic that the they just thing. took out an anti-vaxxer in the first round, but yeah, I didn't even care about the the COVID. I mean, that was definitely like a valid reason, but I, I was always just more like, I, I was, I just thought that they needed a new voice and that Tatum and Brown would improve based on that. Um, which for the first half of the year, I was like, is Emma Udoka really the voice they needed? Um, but I guess he was, and they have taken those leaps. So yeah, he's for that, I guess. I think if it had started earlier, he would have had gotten more serious consideration for Coach Thier. Um, but the biggest difference between the... Do I think that they can contend in the same way as the Celtics? No. Um, because there's two things that Celtics have that the Knicks don't. The most important thing, which this is the big quest, um, not only is it a three-level scorer, this is a guy that was the best player on a floor that included Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And that was not a fluke. I think there are... Unless you got really, really vintage KD, that would have been true for even much better degree. KD played like shit, but even the last game he put up forty, and Tatum was Tatum was is that guy. He is making the case that he should be in that. When you talk about guys like Luca, um, he is in that as a young player. That is the case he's making. That is why if if the Celtics had won just from out like because that the other thing is that they have all of these switchable wings, they really get after on defense. That's the other thing that, um, and I'll talk about why I don't think the Knicks quite fit that bill. But um, they, if they had just gritted out a series by like really locking up the Nets and ISO, you wouldn't be talking about them as a potential title contender. There is there are a lot of people who I, I could see them knocking off Milwaukee. I would pick Milwaukee right now because they do have Giannis uh, and because they're they're playing well, but. Um, I would not. That would not shock me if the Celtics were able to do that. And then I think if I mean, the Celtics are favorites, pretty sure they're favored by Vegas. Uh, I can check right now, but I'm pretty sure they're. Yeah, I saw like Nikias had the Bucks in seven. Um, they, they're and if they beat the Bucks, you have to think they're getting out of the East. Um, so I, would I, not... no, I, you know, I'll say this: I actually really think Miami's a, t- a, a tough matchup for them. That's because really you're too spent too much time in the chat with. Kelly, uh, Kelly O'Burner. No, 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 no. I, I, I've, I've been on this. <laughs> Shout for out a while. Kelly O'Burner, yeah. by the way. Yeah, I've been on this for a while. I think Miami, they they switch. They they do the same switching all that bullshit. They have a lot of stout defenders. They have a center who I think matches up very very well with their centers. Um, I also think you're talking about first time head coach in the playoffs against Eric Spolstra. That's a tough ask. Uh, You're talking and, about Tatum and Brown against Butler, which I think that matchup favors the Celtics, but experience to your point. Well, no, yeah. I'm also no, no. I'm talking about. You're talking You're, about first. I'm talking about the head coach. You're talking about Imeudo. You're talking about the coaching, but I would add that Miami's also more of a veteran team, right? Yeah, yeah, they're more of a veteran team. Uh, I think that they have a lot of. They don't have the top end talent that Boston does because I do think Tatum is the best player in that series. Um, but Bam but, isn't that far behind, and he he, he is a great defender. So. And I, I also just think that they have a lot of flexible pieces. They have a lot of depth. Uh, Boston, as good as they are, I don't love their depth. You know, I don't love it. Like, Tice and Derek White, these guys have helped them. But, like, Derek White 
is going to be left wide open. Whoever they play the next two rounds, because they're going to be playing actual good defenses now, they're not going to be sprinting at Derek White in the corner like he's Steph Curry. They're just going to be like, okay, take that shot, buddy. We'll live with that. Uh, I think a guy like Marcus Smart, you live with him. You live with him taking sh- taking shots. Like Horford, yeah, you live with him taking shots. I still think they have really exploitable weaknesses in the half court. I don't like that. I don't love the Celtics half court offense. I think if you were ranking teams in terms of just their ability to execute in the half court, uh, remaining in the playoffs, I would say Phoenix and Phoenix, Golden State, and Miami are the best in terms of just pure execution in the half court. Um, now, Boston, Milwaukee, these teams have, you know, they have a Giannis, they have a Tatum. These guys can bail you out like in great ways. Um, and that's a credit to, that's why they are the players they are, right? Um, but if you're just talking about executing consistently, getting good quality shots against a set defense, those three teams to me, and I would even say Golden State struggles with this at times. Um, the Suns have a guy like that who's hurt. They have two guys like that, by the way, right. who do bail you out anyway. So Right. And, and on top of that, their execution is great. But like, yeah, I, I would say that Fe- like Phoenix and Miami to me, when they're on, they're like well-oiled machines in the half court and they get through so many actions. It's very hard to defend. I, I really think that this is, that is a team, and I've been like a skeptic of Miami forever, but that's a team that if I was Boston, I would love if Philly could somehow make win that series because I do think Boston would blitz Philly. Like I even with Embiid, yeah, I think that series would be ugly. I think that'd be a very very <coughs> ugly series for Philly. I think Harden he struggled with the Raptors guys uh, in that series. I know he had a nice game six. I don't think he wants no part of this Boston defense, man. He does not have a shot against these guys. He won't get to the fucking rim. He won't get fucking anywhere against them. Um, Embiid will do his thing, but the rest of those guys, Harden, Maxi, you're going to have Thibault. Thibault will have to play in that series a lot because they don't have good wing defenders other than him. Thibault is like a total... Calling him a liability. Calling him a liability is like a credit to liabilities. Um, he's like Andre Roberson, basically. Maybe not even because he doesn't bring you the the screening game and kind of some of the, the offensive rebounding that. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Roberson yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So I, I just think I do. I think Boston is definitely the favorite at this point to come out of the East, in my opinion. Um, I agree with you, though, that like Giannis is Giannis. He is, in my opinion, the best player in the world. I don't think it's much of a question or debate. So he's always going to have a shot, right? Like even without Middleton, even with kind of their lack of wings, Giannis is still that guy. Um, but Boston has, after Giannis, how many of the next best players, like the next six players are on the Celtics? Two. So you think Milwaukee has four of the top seven? Oh, you're players? talking, I thought you meant in the remaining of the playoffs, or the remaining of the East. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Probably... Definitely Brown and Tatum. Um, I'd probably put Robert Williams in there. I would too. Um, I put Smart in there. So I at least four. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. And I think, I think Horford's probably better than Brooke Lopez at this point. Yeah, I so, would. I would. Yeah, I, I think. That's even a guy like Grant Williams has been very valuable for them. Um, so yeah. So getting back to your original question, though. So I think the reason why we're talking about the Celtics differently from previous years, when they were a gritty, tough defensive team, 
uh, versus a tr they are a contender, right? We can maybe maybe I over maybe it's over unfair to Miami to say that the Celtics should be favored to come out of the East over them like a slam dunk, but they are they're viewed as a title contender. The reason that that is because of Jason Tatum. Um, I don't think we would be talking about them the same way if he hadn't emerged as he has. The Knicks do not have that. Are you want to swing? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, are you on a jula? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, we, we call it an Ichigo, but um, but um, so the Knicks do not have someone who I have the confidence to be that. Cam Reddish has his fans. God bless them. I seem. I think his offensive ceiling is closer to something like Rudy Gay, which is not a slight at all. I think yeah, just, just, just just to let you know. Um, Boston is one second. Checking the series price here. Uh, Boston series is you can get it somewhere between minus two hundred to minus one sixty five. So they're a favorite, yeah. though. They're the favorite to come out of the series. Cool. Um, RJ, I think there's a long way to go before I'm buying that. I mean, the, just the fluidity, the shot creation that Tatum has. For me to buy RJ as a three-level scorer right now, I think he can still be an all-star level player. I just don't see him being able to operate in the mid-range. Uh, I, I think he's he's uh, he's a guy who, at his best, is probably something like Brown, a great secondary scorer who can hit open shots, who can get to the rim, and adds value in defense. So I'm not low on RJ, but I just don't see him becoming that a guy like Tatum. And quickly, and, uh, I think I, there's I just, people who believe I in that. Wanna, I just want to be clear. Um, when I posed that question, I did say that I I don't think the Knicks have that level of talent. They don't have a Tatum. And uh, I think that, to me, makes all the, a big difference. Yeah. And the other thing I will say is, even if you were to say, okay, but Boston probably, because of how well they played on defense, maybe they win that series without a superstar performance from Tatum. You know, maybe they don't sweep, but, you know, they, they were de that good on defense. What they also have is just a ton of switchable wings. Um, and the Knicks need more of those. Uh, and this is why I've been... I, so, I think that, like, do they actually have a ton? They have, um, they, have, they have Tatum, they have Brown, they have Williams, if you're counting them as a wing. Um, Spart is bigger than, even the guy is. like Deuce, he's bigger. Yeah. Um, he's basically able to do that. Maybe Grimes, he's like Grimes-sized, and obviously even even probably thicker, right? Um, so, I then, think it's interesting with Boston, just, I want to, sorry, I don't... I don't and their bigs are switchable, too, that's all yeah. I'll add, but... Uh, I think it's interesting with Boston, though. What I will say is this. like, I think Pritchard probably gets played off the floor uh, in a series like this against Milwaukee or Miami. Not because he's bad, by the way. Uh, I just think he will get hunted. And Udoka has shown... <laughs> Let that... him be a good fourth guard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but Udoka has shown... And again, this is actually like... I don't even think this, he should nec this should be the case. But Udoka has had kind of a short leash with him when he sees teams hunting him. If you go back and watch game four against Brooklyn, he barely played him um, because Brooklyn made it a point to hunt him out when he was on the floor uh, in that in those games, in that game anyway. Uh, and he just barely played him. So I think if he sees a team like Milwaukee start really like, as soon as he comes on the floor, you know, seeking him out and putting him in pick and roll and getting switches, um, I think he'll cut him out of the rotation. And at that point, you're talking about you have Smart, you have White, the, the Jays, that's four guys. Williams, Horford, uh, and the other, so two Williams, Horford, and Tice, that's eight guys. That's enough, but I, I, I don't think they actually have a ton of wings, but I 
smart, to your point, smart being as flexible as he is gives them a cushion. Uh, yeah, but even even guys like even if you just say Tatum, Williams, and um, and Brown, right? You mean Grant? The, I'm a, Grant Williams or Robert? Grant Williams? Yeah, I, I mean Williams is a like, time lord is a big right. Um, yeah, right. I, I think the closest the Knicks have to that is maybe Jericho Sims, but he's better than Time Lord actually. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you can I've see outlines enough. of it. I've seen enough. <laughs> you can see outlines of that. He's also older and not as big. So I, I'm not saying, but you can see as far as like hyper athletic guy who can put the ball on the floor, uh, make smart, quick passes. You know, we've talked about this. Um, but I still think the Knicks really only have one true. They have two true wing sized players. There's RJ who is like solid length for a wing. Um, I don't think he's as long as Jalen Brown or Tatum. Is Jalen Brown a plus wingspan guy? Uh yeah, um, look it up. Were but, you a Brown guy when he was coming out? By the way, I thought that was a reach, so I was wrong on that. I do remember because I remember he Beeline wanted him at Michigan pretty bad, mm-hmm. um, and I was and he ended up going to Cal, and I didn't I didn't really like what I saw at Cal, um, but I think also that team that team was super talented and underachieved. Mm-hmm. Um, so wingspan Jalen Brown is six eleven point seven five. Uh, so almost seven feet wingspan. RJ's like six nine or something like that, right? Six ten, yeah. RJ's 6'10". I think Tatum is also close to seven feet wingspan. The Knicks really only have you could if you want to call RJ that fine, and then Cam, and that's it. Um they like you don't Grimes put Grimes in that category. Grimes is tough. Can he evolve into a Marcus Smart? Maybe that makes it easier, right? Or that mm-hmm. like or can Deuce do that? Deuce is smaller though. Like in Deuce is actually has a lower standing reach than quickly. He is he has the frame to get maybe close to Marcus Smart in terms of strength, and that matters. But um, you know what what Smart does for that defense? You're probably talking about a guy like Grimes, but I think the wing. I mean, Grant Williams has been underrated for them, like that length and the ability to bother stuff. I think the Knicks are going to play hard. Their young guys play hard, and that that by the way goes for Cam too. I know his defense has been maligned, but uh, he just. I don't think the effort was the issue. I think he just loses focus at just I, I also hyper critical like- moments. I also think he's a guy who defends better in the playoffs, probably just because you switch more in the playoffs. Yeah, and, he's and a that, really that showed in Atlanta. He, yeah, he's yeah. he is better at that. But going, but he, I, I would like more guys in that mold. I've talked about this a lot. That is probably the number one thing I would like for them to get out of the draft, so unless they have a three level score. Just to be clear, you want to keep Deuce in his role, um, where <laughs> you want to let him develop there. I think I think he has the. Uh, I think he has the ability to be a starting point guard in the league or a starting two guard. I don't, um, I don't know so, that he some of it is confidence guard. with him. He just needs to like get on the floor more and yeah. start like knowing that he can try to take guys off the dribble and stuff like that. Because you can see like his handle is, I think his handle has improved a lot um, yeah. from what I saw of him in college to what it is now. He just uses it more to set up the middies. Yeah, uh, he was just cold from three, but. Look, I got into a, a, a long discussion with Evan Zamir about this because I was saying that Obi, when he finally got minutes, his three-point shooting improved. And I'm with said, you, well, by the way. I'm totally with you on this one. But Yeah, and he was like, you know, well, you know, you can't really conclude. It's a small sample. So that's fair. But I would also argue for many reasons that if the sample, even if you have a sample of 100 threes, but it's coming one or two at a time in five-minute stretches, I don't think that's a useful sample either. Um, I think that, you know, they, people, a lot of people say that hot hand fallacy exists. There's been research that's debunked that because the original hot hand paper uh, had a sampling error uh, in terms of how they were, 
how they were mining their data. Uh, it's a fascinating paper for those who really want to nerd out. Look up Joshua Miller, Hot Hand. Uh, it's also in Ben Cohen's book about the hot hand. So it, the rhythm and those kind of things, uh, and many old heads will tell you, we always knew that. It was, you know, it was poor analytics that told you wrong. I, I think that that is a thing. And I think while it might be a bit much to conclude that OB is a good shooter because of this recent stretch, I think the real takeaway is that if a, if a shooter, if someone who has good shooting indicators from their past, good form, is shooting a low percentage because they just take one or two at a time, we should not conclude that they're a bad shooter from that. I'm unwilling to conclude that Deuce is a bad shooter. In fact, projection models like Darko still think he's over 36% as a shooter. Um, but to answer your question, I could see, I, I like the fact that I don't think he can be quite Marcus Smart as a two guard defender doesn't mean that I don't think he can start at the two guard. Um, I think he's, I like his biggest impact as a defender is probably at the one, but I think he can give you that switchability. Um, it's just like, you saw the game when they played against Cade. He made life really difficult for Cade, but Cade can't shoot over him. Smart is, because of the added strength and the length, just is a, probably a little bit better against wings and those kind of things. Um, but to, but I, I think that, you know, they have, I, I like what they have at the point of attack on defense among Rokas, Deuce, IQ, and Grimes. Uh, Grimes gives you a little bit of flexibility like Smart, but I, we'll see if he can get to quite that level on defense. I'm not underselling, but quite Smart is a lot more than just big, right? There's everything that he brings you. Um, it, it comes back to, so it comes back to the two things that I think the Knicks should target in this draft is switchable wings who can go two through four um, in the mold of Cam or, or to a lesser extent RJ, but someone like that, um, which there's going to be two or three, I think, that are available for the Knicks. Or a three-level score, which there are two guys who your mileage may vary on how much you think that they can do that. Um, and one of them probably is close to that wing size. So, Yeah, uh, Cam is kind of key to this all. Um, assuming they keep him or whatever, I don't know what the plan is. Uh, Another reason to move Randall, by the way, because it opens up more minutes for Cam. Yeah, and I, don't, it, I know it sounds crazy because, like, Cam is so far away from being a Tatum or Brown level player, but just in terms of athletic profile, what really stands out when you watch Cam, like his minutes on the Knicks, is there was never a matchup or a moment or anything where he looked physically outmatched or athletically outmatched. Uh, I mean, that Suns game when Tibbs pulled him after he made two absurd layups, which was like like complete galaxy brain coaching. Um, but like those were tough layups against an elite defense under pressure in the half court without much going on on those possessions. Like those are the type of shots that you need guys to be able to make when you get into the nitty gritty of the playoffs. And RJ has shown that he can get to the rim a lot. Uh, I think some of his percentages at the rim are actually, like, they're artificially deflated by the fact that he doesn't trust his pull-up game at all so that he he effectively forces his way to the rim, right? So he forces shots there that he wouldn't take if other areas of his game were more well-rounded. But even then, my point is more like, RJ is just different in what he does than Cam. And the things that Cam can do are things that really nobody else on this roster profiles to do. Uh, maybe you can say Obi in terms of his finishing at the rim, but I still think they're very different in how they get there and what they do. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I just think Cam is like, look, you, you traded out a first round pick to get this guy. I think you need to give him a serious shot next year. You need to make sure he's in the rotation and he needs to be playing 20 minutes a night at absolute minimum. Um, because do I think he's ever going to have a star level outcome? I would be shocked at this point, but I do think he's a starting caliber player. Like there's clearly starting caliber. Somebody threw out Otto Porter as a name, by the way. Yeah. I don't like that comp. He's a way more dynamic slasher than Otto was. Um, But in terms of impact, right? Total impact, like high level offensive player, maybe not quite a star, but, and then a solid, like I think Otto Porter was a little overrated on defense, but he's a solid defender with some versatility. So yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you could. I think a, a reasonable level for him to achieve right now would be like Andrew Wiggins right now, like the player Andrew Wiggins is today. Um, He's deceptively strong. That's one thing Andrew Wiggins has gotten better at is using that. Mm-hmm. Like Cam looks wiry, but he's pretty strong. I think Omar was saying this in the Discord, right? Um, like, there's like if anything, the criticism is that he probably needs to bully dudes a little bit more at the rim because he can. Do yeah, that. he likes to be smooth. He he's good at like, that too. Like you love the finesse finishes, but he he can also you know he can use some more thunder to complement his lightning, right? So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but like, I just think you know, and and I Andrew Williams is like, I don't think I know he made an All Star team this year. He was not actually an All Star, um, but like that level, if Cam gets to that level, it doesn't even matter that he's not a star. Just having good players, his size with his physical tools. Even if they're not stars, those are such valuable pieces once you get into these playoff matchups, you know? Because if you play Boston, you're probably not going to win. You're not going to win the wing matchup against them, right? But what you want are guys that at least make them work and guys that aren't going to be missed. Like, they're not going to be totally physically outmatched by Tatum and Brown. And, like, one thing we saw when the Knicks played the Celtics this year, RJ struggled a lot. Because they were able to just put Tatum on him, right? And Tatum, when he's locked in, especially he's an elite defender. If Cam gets to a point where he's <coughs> he is good enough where he's in a starting lineup with RJ Barrett, now all of a sudden you have Tatum and he has to play Reddish. And then Jalen Brown has to play RJ. And like it changes your matchup so much. Uh, and again, like I, I know I've tweeted this and I think we've talked about this, but like when you're, if you're the Knicks and you're looking at like, if you're planning out like how we want to build this roster, what are we trying to develop into the, like watch the Celtics and Buck series, because the two guys that you really need to be planning for in the Eastern conference at this point for the next four or five, six years, whatever it is, are Giannis and they're Tatum. And I got a third there, but yeah. It would yeah. it be Embiid? Bam. Bam. I, I don't know if you can... So, I, I, I this is not... Embiid to, should get mentioned, but I think... Yeah. I am this is, interested how his body holds up going forward. 100%. And this is not to disrespect Embiid or Bam. I don't know if those are guys that you can... I don't know. It's so weird. They're like centers, so they're a little bit different to me in terms of how do you develop your roster to like address those guys because you ultimately are always going to need centers. So I don't know if they present the same type of like fluidity in terms of yeah, the decision you, points. You, yeah. I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. So like when I'm thinking about like how to build rosters in the East, 
for me, the guys I'm worried about are Giannis and they're Tatum because they give you so many different looks and you need to have the pieces on your roster to match up with whatever looks they throw at you. And there's a lot of different ways to go about that. Whereas, like, if you're really planning for Embiid um, or Bam, where I think this actually applies to Giannis a little bit too, if you're like, I need someone to, to match up with them, short of, like, trading for DeAndre Ayton, like, there just aren't a lot of great options out there. Like, it's it's a very much of a one-dimensional decision thing, right? Either we're going to have to do it as a team and right, pray, right. or it's going to be we got this, we got Ayton or, or someone of that ilk. Or, or you do like you know like what teams used to have to do against Shaq and Kobe, right? Where they would just be like, "All right, well Shaq's gonna do his thing. Like, let's just worry about trying to stop Kobe because we might have a chance against him. We had no shot against Shaq. Um, so it's like maybe one of those things, right? Where you're just like, "All right, we'll let Bam cook us. We'll let Embiid cook us. But these other four guys, they're not gonna get shit off." Um, would so you I think put, that's part of that? Uh, I feel like I'm probably gonna get a rant off of this. Would you put Scotty Barnes in that category yet? Okay. Or or Siakam or maybe someone on Toronto? That you have to game plan against? Like to that degree? That that is, yeah, the guys that you're worried about in that no. Eastern Conference. No, not 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 even like Not even Siakam I, really has played well this year. Yeah, he, he's been really good, don't get me wrong. But he is just he played really well and they lost in six games in the first round. I know it's like not all on him, obviously, but I just don't see him as the type of talent that is you know, moving, he, he's just not going to be, he just doesn't impact the game the same way. I don't think defenses tilt towards him the way that you have to tilt towards Giannis or tilt towards Tatum. Can Scotty Barnes get to that level? I personally don't think so. Like, which I guess if you think that If you have to game plan for Scotty Barnes, just get Franz Wagner, you know? Exactly. He's the kryptonite. Then you don't even have to worry about it. Um, like, is that a criticism of Scotty Barnes? I'm sure Raptors Twitter would think so, but like, I just don't see him as that central offensive hub type of player, um, at least as a scorer. I, I do like his like his passing is really nice for a player his size, so you can run offense through him in certain ways. Can but switch like, one through five. I mean, he is yeah. a little like Bam in that sense, right? In the yeah, of yeah, he is, he is. Um, and my thing with Bam has always been like I'm probably I'm definitely lower on Bam than you are. Uh, is just like I don't personally see the scoring package from him to be like a 25, 30 points per game type guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. In a key playoff series. So he's just a little bit lower. He's always going to be lower to me than guys like Tatum or Giannis and shit like that. But like, and that's kind of how I feel about Barnes. I think he can be a good scorer. I don't see star scorer. Like, I just don't see that in him. Maybe I'm wrong. He is what, he's like 19 or 20 years old. So he's super young. And the shot was better than expected this year. Yeah. He could definitely like improve, so you know, there's every chance I am completely wrong on this. I just don't see him as that caliber of talent um, as a scorer, anyway. To the point where you're like, I would say among the among the rookies, I still think Cade has the highest ceiling, yeah. but I don't think you game plan for anyone on the Detroit Pistons yet. But I I, I would still take Cade over Scotty, um, and, and I would take Mobley over him too. I would also. I think. I actually think I might take. I. I still think Mobley has the highest ceiling. I agree, um, and that might be a guy you have to game plan for in a year too. Yeah, yeah. He's down the line. Mobley, like, man, when he that guy fills out, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, that's gonna be scary. Uh, but like you know, talking about the wings, I talked about this with Prez. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, is Tari Eason a guy that you like then as 
you know, because you are talking about, like, matching up with these bigger wings and we need more guys like Cam. I think we both agree on that, that we need more of these big wing dudes. Um, is Tariq Eason a guy that you like uh, if the Knicks stick around, like, 11? Or are there other guys that you prefer in that area? Uh, kind of like a similar big wing archetype? Yeah, so there's... I've been gone back and forth with this. So there's there's three big wings, I think, that the Knicks are probably going to look at in that range. Who are one of at least one of them is likely to be available, and then there's a fourth guy who I don't. It depends on. I, I've argued with Omar about this, but the three big wings are Tari Eason, Jeremy Sochan, and um, Dyson Daniels. Um, and so Daniels, I think, is the youngest. Um, played for G League Ignite. He grew from six four to now. He's people are saying he's six eight, but he operates as like a point guard. He's probably more of a connector at the next level, but he has a nice floater game. The shooting is a question mark. Good events generator on defense. Um, I do think he can give you, because of that defense, he can give you some of the things you're talking about. Um, I don't know that necessarily I would bet on the same level of offense and forcing someone like Tatum to come guard him. Um, Eason is the guy who probably has the highest ceiling in that range, certainly if you talk to Prez. Uh, Prez is actually buying him as kind of an on-ball three-level scorer. I'm not quite there yet because what? there's a lack of polish, but he's 6'9", 6'10", jumps out of the gym, um, you know, you, can handle the ball. Are you worried about his jumper? When you say, like, you don't see the scoring talent, like the, that three-level yeah. scoring, is it, is the, it the, just the form? The jumper results were good. The jumper results were good. I think, yeah, the form, like, he has this low release, um, which gives me a little bit of pause. Um, he's also, like... He's a really good ball handler. The decision-making needs work. Uh, like a guy like Scotty, who's in that mold, like his decision-making was really good in college, especially for a freshman. Uh, Eason had some head-scratching reads. Um, that needs to tighten up. But it could be the sort of thing where if he's not, if he's if he is kind of in a more ancillary role, this is what I think the Knicks did a little with Cam. You kind of restrain him a little bit, and he picks his spots better. Maybe that comes up. Um, but in terms of scoring potential, he's probably the highest of those three. And then Sochan is, and, and he also is a big time events generator on defense with some bad possessions mixed in. And then the, the thing that I think the Knicks are going to love, especially, is just the motor. I think they have always targeted high motor guys in the draft. I don't think they've picked a single guy I would categorize as not extremely high motor, let alone like, like all of them are, right? Uh, and then Sochan is probably the most versatile, also plays the high motor. The difference between him and Eason is I think like his passing in the half court really is special. Um, and I don't think he's quite the athlete Eason is, um, but like he can function in that OB role pretty well. Um, and his shooting was not good. Uh, so Eason is the best shooter out of the three. That's probably what gives him the best on-ball stuff. And Dyson's probably the best ball handler. But I would actually, I like Sochin's passing even better than Dyson's because uh, just the reads he makes in the half court, his ability to manipulate defenses at that size. He does remind me, like, some of his DHOs and some of the stuff he does of Obi. Um, and he had he flashed some, like, nice turnaround, like, mid-range game. He was a poor free-throw shooter and a bad three-point shooter. But um, I would be happy with any of those three guys. Um, I think there is a reason to believe. I think there's cases for all three. And then the last guy I'll mention, if you're not sold ultimately on any of them being a high-level, three-level scorer, the only other guy who I would really look at, um, um, and this is assuming some guys are gone, but it's Malachi uh, Branham um, from Ohio State, who had elite pick and roll numbers, whoa, uh, whoa, great whoa, mid range game. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ohio State. Yeah, well, got to do it. 
I mean, I, I just watched my team draft the Mountain and the Hound from the team that eviscerated Michigan. So <laughs> I, I, I think he, I, I think he is bigger than the Mountain. Jordan Davis is fucking. He's, I'm, I'm so hyped about that. But um, I actually might be as hyped about getting Jordan Davis as, as I am about Brown. So, um, but getting back to the point, like Branham, yeah, like he can score at the rim. He's only 185, and yet he showed the ability to bully people. Uh, he hasn't turned 19 yet. So that combination of those two things makes me think he can really be a, a big time threat at the rim because of the strength he already has. It probably can put on 15, 20 pounds. Uh, he's a solid defender. The only thing is, is he that, like, he's bigger than Grimes. He's 6'5", listed with a 6'11 wingspan. So that's, that's he's probably effectively RJ size, which is not that freakish wing. And he wasn't a great defender in college. I thought he was fine. There's some people who probably would have liked to see more at the point of attack. But he's not, like, an ideal person. Like, he's like RJ, where, like, the size is good, and, like, you, you keep adding strength, you can be pretty effective against threes. But it's just not that freakishly long wing. And that's where I think you'd have to really buy into Brandon being that three-level scorer to take him over one of the other three guys. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at there. I I do, yeah. I think you can make a case for any of those picks. Um, I also I think that this is where I've argued with Omar a lot about Brandon. I think there's reasons to, to argue whether he might have a higher ceiling than a guy like Johnny Davis because he is bigger, um, because he has shown the ability to shoot from three better than Davis did and pull up, and his efficiency was really good. Um, he he didn't rack up a ton of assists, but he makes quick decisions. Like, watching Branham against the double team versus watching Julius Randle against the double team, like, he anticipates the double, he's a step ahead. Uh, and again, he's only 18. I think he has a really high ceiling. I think there's a strong case for the Knicks to take him. I think the four guys I mentioned, I'd be happy with them. I, if they did decide, there are things Davis does better. I'm not saying that Branham over him is necessarily true even. I think it's, it's worth a debate. Um, so that's what I'll say. And then the last thing I'll talk about, if I had to get the perfect guy for the Knicks in this draft right now. And why is it Shaden Sharp? <laughs> thank you. I think I would say even more than Ivy at this point, I think Sharp might be that guy. I mean, I'll let you talk, but yeah. I mean, I barely watch much. Um, Prez has been sending me clips of like 7,000 people a day. Uh, and I finally succumbed and watched some Shade and Sharp highlights. And I watched like, I don't know, it was probably like a 20 minute video or something. But the entire time I was watching it, I was like, okay, so he's a really good pull up shooter. He seems to be really active off the ball um, to find space and find openings. Obviously, has some work to do as an on ball creator, but apparently that took a big leap. Uh, he's long as hell. Yeah, he's long. He's got seven. He's, I think they said he's seven seven foot wingspan at six five. He's super athletic in transition and general. I the one thing I did kind of have some concern about, and I don't know if it's like this is stuff I know you can work on. Donovan Mitchell famously has worked on this. He's a two foot jumper right now, um, so he he explodes off of two feet. I don't know if you saw the same explosion off of one foot from him, but. This is just again. I watched like I've watched like four videos of him, so I'm not an expert. These are just my takes on what I've seen. Seen so that would give me a little bit of pause. But like the pull up shooting, the plus wingspan, the fact that apparently he's a really good rebounder and that he gives a shit on defense. Um, like yeah, the the entire package. It sounds like there's like 
a Levine outcome for him offensively, but with a guy who seems to really be keyed in on the non-glamorous parts of basketball as far as rebounding and defense. Uh, And then you just think about like what that skill set he provides is and then how that fits alongside somebody like R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin like long-term. And it's kind of like, yeah, like this is definitely the guy we should go for. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I was just saying, like, do the Knicks want to get a freakish wing who can do, who's versatile on defense and adds value as a connector? Or do they want a three-level scorer? And then, so which one is he? Is Shaden Sharp a three-level scorer or a freakish wing? And the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what he is. Like, you can affect both of those needs by getting him. Yeah, and, and to be clear, like, it seems like he needs to develop quite a bit as an on-ball, like... Yeah, the, the Levine stuff, creator. the ball-handling improvement that Levine showed, I don't think that's easy to project for any prospect. Like, that would be a massive yeah, step yeah. for, for Sharp. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm more talking about just, like, the very basics of, like, pull-up shooting plus off-ball shooting ability. Um, and then elite vertical athleticism. Yeah, exactly. Like, just those elements are, like, they... There is, like, a... Like, the thing is, when you just have those raw ingredients, there is a Levine outcome potential offensively with the fact that this guy will give a shit on defense, will hit the glass. Like, that is... You know, like, I love Jaden Ivey. I think he's, in a lot of ways, a great fit for this team. Um... Some of his decision-making can be a little head-scratching. I do worry about how right-hand dominant he is. I don't think that's that huge a concern. Um, it is for most young players, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Most young players have to develop their offense. Right. So that's not like a massive, massive concern to me. The mid-range stuff is weird with him. Like, I'm not sure... Because he just didn't take mid-range shots, and he wasn't very good at them. But, like, I, I, I genuinely ask this because I don't really know. Like, I don't know what the scope for improvement is in those areas for, for young players or like how much can you improve? How much of this is like, and this is like, for me, like I'm not a shot mechanic guy, so I don't really have strong takes on this, but it's like, is some of that stuff about his shot mechanics? Like, does he have to, you know, work to have a higher release in the mid range than he does from three? Um, you know, it's just like, those are the things I, I think about with him. His defense at times, like he should be a way better defender than he is. Um, he can be aloof on defense, kind of fall asleep. At times, but like when he's locked in, he's a guy who can really heat up the ball and and not he's not comfortable for guys to try to you know make something happen against off the dribble. But like he's not keyed in all the time. How concerning is that? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But like I do see the vision for Shaden Sharp. I think he's really an intriguing prospect. Um, and again, I, I told Prez this on Friday, but like it would not surprise me at all if the Knicks were higher on him than they are. Than, than most teams. It wouldn't surprise me if they had him anywhere as high as two or three even. Um, it, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I mean, he has the potential to be the best player in the draft. I don't think there's a lot of doubt about that. I think it's interesting. He is actually just 18 days uh, younger than Branham. So that's, I think, another... Um, that's And they're, they're pretty similar. They have a similar size, I think. Are they the youngest guys? They are two of the youngest, if not the youngest. I think Usman Dieng might be younger. Um, okay. But they're like, yeah, the closest, they're May born. I don't think you can, you have to be 19, I think, by June, essentially, right? Or July. So, um, you know, they are, I think I think it's kind of the complimentary thing where Brandon, Brandon is more polished, especially in the mid range. 
but doesn't have the same ceiling because just isn't like that kind of athlete. Like he's a solid athlete. Like he's, it's definitely not a weakness, but just not, you know, when you're talking about the NBA athleticism, he's not going to be nuclear or something you know, more than above average. If that, um, he's no I think Sutton that the, Singh. sorry, he said he's no Sutton Singh. Yeah. He's no Sutton Singh. <laughs> um, who could probably jump two feet in there. Um, maybe, um, I think it also goes back. I'm very curious to what, you know, I think there's a few conclusions we can draw about the Knicks draft philosophy, but I also question those, right? So I think when it comes to guards, they have a type. They like guys with high feel who can shoot to pull up, who can pull up from three, um, who play with a high intensity, right? I think that's true of all of the guards they've picked. Quickly deuce, um, Grimes. Rokas isn't as pull-up heavy, but he's pretty capable and all of them also have just these six eight, six nine, six ten wingspans. They, and, and they you have to have a strong uh, Instagram game, also. Exactly right. So, um, <laughs> and then with centers, they've only they've only drafted two bigs. Uh, both are ninety nine percent athletes who can do things with the ball in their hands. Sims obviously less so than Obi, um, and both were really high motor, but they haven't really drafted a wing. Um, and the only other think, thing, do you think it's fair to kind of count Cam almost as a draft? That's true. So that Cam could be Cam is the one young wing that they've targeted. So a guy could maybe give you some inkling of what they. So they like that he's skilled, puts the ball on the floor, and versatile. I would imagine that's a good starting point for a wing. That's what most teams. The only other thing that, especially with Sharp and with Branham, give me some pause, and I wonder how true this is. The Knicks have not drafted a one and done player yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They stashed Rokas. Um, obviously, quickly, McBride, Grimes are all multi-year players. Obi was in the lottery. But the flip side of that is they've also mostly been picking in the late 20s. And when Obi got drafted, we heard the stat a million times. You know, lottery picks that are 22, they don't pan out well. But I would imagine there's something going on where if you pick a one and done in the 20s, I would imagine that doesn't have the highest hit rate either, right? Partly because I'm sure there's some survivor bias where if a guy really, if a guy is Jaden Ivey or Benedict Matherin, they're not coming out as a freshman just to get picked in the late first or or the second, right? If they feel like they can be a lottery pick, they'll stay. But the other thing is probably that you know those guys may have made it a premature decision or something. I, I don't know, but I, you probably have a better hit rate among slightly older players. So they haven't picked; they only picked once in the lottery. They did take an older player, so I wonder if that would indicate that a guy like Shaden Sharp or Dyson Daniels or Malachi Branham would be, um, you know, just too young and they would want someone to be more of an immediate computer. Or the other part of that, though, is um, an additional lottery thing. They've been in a position where they just needed to add, add guys who can play and they needed to hit some singles, right? Because the team just didn't have solid basketball players. Yeah, now they're in the opposite built out like a talent base now. Yeah, and now they're in the opposite position where they have a lot of solid players, but they, they just don't ha- they haven't taken that home run swing, right? Uh, and maybe that would be why this they might go away from what they've done in the past. And I, I don't, you know, to the extent that that would be a hard and fast philosophy anyway. Yeah, my I'm fairly confident saying this. Uh, I don't think they've avoided one-and-done players because they're opposed to drafting them. Uh, you know, Ian Begley reported that they had conversations uh, trying to move up for Jalen Suggs in last year's draft. So Jalen Suggs, one-and-done player, like, pretty obvious that they're not against that. But to your point, the more important parts of that, I think, are Suggs did show some... I know he shot like crap this year in the field, but like he did show pull-up shooting potential in college. He was a plus wingspan guy. 
I remember correctly. Uh, and he was also just like a super high competitive, high motor, yeah, physical defensive player, high school quarterback, you know, yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah. So, so like the the characteristics I think are way more of a tell than the Age. the years spent in college. I think the reason they probably went for guys like that are because you know, look, if you're drafting later, you're probably not going to be landing star talent. So maybe you're just looking for the best profiles of guys that you think guys that profile the best to be just solid NBA rotation guys, you know? And look, credit to them. Like I think quickly can be more than than just a solid rotation guy. I think Obi can be more than just a solid rotation guy. Grimes, I think also has the potential to be more than a solid rotation guy. Um, Like we'll see with Deuce. But like they've done a good job. Like they've dra- like the, what they have settled on as a draft strategy has been working. They've gotten value out of their picks. That's great. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I completely agree. Like at some point, you need to take a shot on a star. And I think they'd be more willing to do that probably in yes. the lottery and at this point, right? Yeah, like uh, they like, don't they, need to. They they're not like look when they took over the roster, right? When Man Rose came in, the roster was effectively Julius Randle. R.J. Barrett, Milikina, Knox, Mitch. That was the guys that were under contract. And Dennis Wood Jr. Those are the guys that were under contract. Not Frank is still out of the rotation in Dallas. Knox is probably respect Frank. I I do respect Frank. I love Frank, but he's you know he still has not established himself as a rotation player in the NBA. Knox is probably heading to Turkey pretty soon. Uh. Mitch is still here. He's a nice starter. RJ is RJ. Obviously, he's still here. Randall is Randall. He's still here. But, like, the, the, the first two guys are RJ and Mitch. Those are the only two young guys they inherited, right? Those are the only two young players they inherited that have developed into something. And, you know, DSJ is out of the fucking league, right? So, like, to your point, like, they needed to just maybe not be, like, they needed to be risk averse in some ways. And that doesn't mean they didn't take any risk. Like there is risk in taking somebody like Obi Toppin where they did, but and then the rest of the but also the rest of the picks were in a range of the draft where I think people do tend to take, you know, that's like in the twenties you do tend to try to hit singles, right? Yeah, 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 you do. And unless um, you're like Milwaukee or someone where it's just like, well, this guy isn't going to play, so let's just, you know, I think at twenty nine thirty you see teams that are just stacked already, just be like, we might as well. Take a shot on a guy like Jordan Poole who's going to contribute for two years, right? But. Right. So it's just like, yeah, I, I would be, I'm really interested to see what they do in this draft. I'm of the opinion, like, I know the, the consensus idea seems to be that they will trade this pick. Uh, I'm le- much less sure of that. I think they have shown that they have an appreciation for acquiring young talent in the draft. Like, we can all, you know, people have debated this. We can debate the process and how they've done it, you know, should they have traded a pick and not, you know, not taking Jalen Johnson, the crime of not taking Jalen Johnson. Uh, it's Herb Jones now. Yeah, that Herb Jones. Like, future all-star 23-year-old Herb Jones. <laughs> like, you know, we can dis- we can we can have disagreements about what their processes and the players they've selected, where they've selected them or whatever, but they have shown that they want to, they want to be in the draft. They want to acquire young talent. I mean, they took four picks last year. Right, right. Um, they use four picks. Like, you know, like they they've clearly shown that they're at this, and they also used 
the one that they you know they traded out from nineteen last year for a future one. They obviously they use that to acquire a young rookie scale player in Cam Reddish. So like they're not out here just trading. Picks yeah, they didn't to, use it to get like Marcus Morris or something, right? right Which I'm exactly. sure Tibbs would have preferred. Yeah, Tibbs so, probably was demanding that. Um, yeah, and and I mean it's also a lottery pick, and it's like unless you're getting a guy like Donovan Mitchell, um, like I'm not trading that pick for Jalen Brunson just to make and, a sign and good work. And if anything, their record in the draft should be a reason why they don't just trade the pick for whatever, you know? Like, they should have confidence in their ability to identify talent and pick guys that can help this team. Uh, So we'll see what they do. I'm very interested. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun fun thing to see what they do with it. If they do top, top four, do you think Shaden Sharp is the guy? I kind of think he's the guy. Even if they have the opportunity to draft like Ivy? I I don't know. Something about Sharp just makes me think he's like very high for them. Like I, he fits so many of like he hits so many of the benchmarks they look for. He's super young, and then on top of that, like you would have to think the Knicks have better intel on him than any team in the NBA. I would anyway. Just given his. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I mean, there's the Kentucky connection. Um, be interested if RJ knows a lot about him, given the Canadian thing. Um, yeah, yeah, he might. He might. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think the, the Kentucky stuff with Wes, like, he's got to have better intel than anybody. And not just Wes. Like, I know Kenny Payne's not here anymore, but I'm sure that Kenny Payne is in touch with them. And, like, I mean, they were fucking crying, apparently, right, when he was leaving. Like, doesn't exactly seem like a relationship that is now non-existent. Like, it, it, that seems like between Kenny Payne and, and World Wide West, you have you have to think that they know very keenly what's going on in Kentucky. And I mean, not just that, like, quickly played there, right? Like, he's I'm sure he has connections. So he just went back this year, like, they retired his jersey and what, all that shit. Like, they have so many Kentucky connections that actually matter. Uh, I'm sure their intel is good. And if the intel on him is as promising as, like, the grainy ass clips that we can see of him, you know, why would he not be high on your board? He was a number one, he was a consensus top prospect in his class, right? Yes, no? Yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah. Number one prospect in his class. Um, and it's it's not the kind of thing where it's someone who's just number one prospect in their class because they're bigger and stronger than everyone else. Like Quentin Grimes is a top five prospect. Um, and it turned out that the, like he had to be in, like who he was as a prospect is very different from who he is now, right? There's prospects like that who, um, you know, it, and it, it's just tough to watch this guy's film and not see a future, future like it's everything that you want, it just needs polish, right? Um, yeah. And that's the only thing that like do the Knicks feel like are they willing to take a chance on more of a project? Because um, the only player they've drafted in that mold is really Jericho Sims. Um, I think they should be because their player development, like all of the young players have developed. Um, And and Tibbs does deserve some credit for that. But, um, you know, they've just, what they've put in place, their organizational philosophy puts them in position to make that kind of play. And to that extent, it probably swings the needle just ever so slightly in the direction of a guy like Tari Eason, who, you know, the raw tools and the motor and the skills are there. And he Dude, just his needs impact, polish. His like advanced stats are ridiculous. 
yeah, like 14.7 BPM. Yeah, like, it's just ridiculous. Like high-end steal rates. I mean, some people would say LSU, the way they played, may have inflated that a little bit. Um, and there's times when he played just too hard. I think there was a game he fouled out in like seven minutes. <laughs> so he would he is going to drive Tibbs crazy. Um, but probably of those three, there's a reason why Prez probably Prez thinks he has the highest potential. And I can see that. I think that they all have, you know, there's traits for all of them. I think Dyson is probably the guy that more Knicks fans want in that range. But, um, but yeah, if they get the chance to draft Shaden Sharp, I would be, be pretty surprised as well if they pass. Um, it'd be between him and, and IB, I think, for them. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, all right, that's a good place to end it. But before we get out of here, uh, all right, let's do this real quick. Buck Celtics, who you got? This is tough. Uh, I'm still going Bucks in seven. But I will say... No, fuck it. I don't care. I think the Celtics will win, but I'm not going to actually say that. So, Bucks and six. Um, Miami, oh, Miami, Philly. Um, it's tough. I mean, without Embiid, I got to go Miami in six, and I'm tempted to say it can get uglier than that. Yeah, I think Miami in five. Uh, Golden State, Memphis. Sweep. You know who I am. You know who I am. Golden State Warriors in four. Uh, I, I think I, I think I, Memphis really got bailed out by Minnesota just choking. Um, I will say that I do think the front court matchup in this, like I think Minnesota was a much better front court matchup to give them problems. But man, the Jaron Jackson Jr. fouling stuff is super worrying. I, I, I think Jai is going to have a terrible series. By the way, I think that Draymond and the help defense is going to make life hell for him. Yeah, I, I think this Golden State team is better than what they faced in the play-in last year for sure. I just, I really, I really, really need Steph to to let Ja know what's up. I, I'm so sick of this fucking guy. Do you mean Jordan Poole? Uh, no, I mean Steph Curry. Uh, I'm so sick of John Moran. I'm so sick of this ridiculous, endless praise he gets. He is the most overrated player in the NBA. He's a fucking corny ass loser, and he needs to be fucking smacked down in round two. I, I'm not uh, as down on him, but I think he is, he is overrated. I would not say the most overrated player in the NBA. Um, I, I'm I think there's an argument Anthony Edwards outplayed him in the first series. I think he did. Um, I think that I think that the the Warriors are going to relentlessly attack him. Steph is going. If it's not Steph, it's going to be Pool. It's going to be Clay. Uh, they're going to attack him on defense. Curry's going I think to target they, him all series long, and I also, also think really, they're going to—they're also really smart about how they hunt players. Like they don't just get the mismatch and then ISO, right? Like they hunt players in very specific ways beyond that. But I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's Kerr, and it's—I mean—they're all really smart players, and it trickles down. I think that. Uh, I mean, we both watch Jordan Poole in college. I think he's—that's a part of his game that's improved a lot as well. His decision making. Um, Wiggins, I think, yeah, he's a much higher field player than he was in Minnesota. And I think, but I mean, Draymond and I think Draymond is going to feast. I think he's going to win that matchup against Jaron Jackson. I, I mean, Cat is obviously more talented overall, but I don't like that matchup for Jackson, to be honest. Yeah, yep, um, I agree. And yeah, to your point, I think they're just going to be because I, I was talking with someone and you know, they're saying, you know, well, you can't really, you know, excuse Minnesota. Memphis was young too. Uh, youth can't be an excuse. And I was like, yeah. But I think Memphis benefited. I don't necessarily think Memphis showed extreme poise, and I think that's going to get exposed as well. 
Uh, I, I'm sure there's people that would say they can take it to five games. They have the talent. Uh, this is not to say John Morant won't be an all NBA level player someday or like a, one of those guys, but I think Golden State's going to go under. I think they're going to show him different looks. I, I just really think he's going to struggle. And I think, um, I think the whole team will. Uh, I'm going to say Warriors in six, but I feel like that it could be, it could be five. It could be four. It wouldn't surprise me. I have a tough time seeing Memphis winning this one. Um, these Warriors look like the Warriors of old. I'm just going to say that. Um, yeah, they look Steph really hasn't good. even hit his stride yet, but the way the ball is moving, the communication on defense, Green pulling. I mean, and not, this is not to say Jokic had a terrible series by any means, but no, Green's great, defense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just this, is, this, looks like, this looks like the Warriors of old. I will say this. I do think this is a series. I think Kaminga is going to get minutes, uh, and I think if he's good in those minutes, it will go a very long way for Golden State because they don't really like the only big wings they have are Kaminga and Wiggins, right? Like they don't, I mean, I guess Otto Porter Jr., but you know, he hasn't really gotten going yet in the playoffs either. Um, but like, I mean, Draymond functions in some ways like a big wing too, right? Yeah. But Kaminga is just such a different level of athlete. And I just think that like, they're going to, they need him to some degree in this, in this matchup. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how he does in, in, in these extended minutes. Uh, all right, and then the last one is uh, Phoenix-Dallas. Suns in four! I'll say five. Um, even, without, even with the Booger injury, this is just um, – this has been the best team in the league. Chris Paul has hit another level. Uh, I'm really – I think Brunson has been playing great. I don't think he wins that matchup against Chris Paul. Uh, I think they have the, the the wings. When you talk about Cam Johnson, Michael Bridges to throw at Luca, um, I, I think you know, there's a couple of people who are probably more skeptical on that. Um, and then I think this is a series where DeAndre and really goes off. Um, they just, I think, you have to give Jason Kidd credit and their perimeter defense credit. Dorian Finney Smith for, you know, I think they finished seventh or eighth in the league in defensive rating, but they're not, they're not going to have an answer for the DeAndre and Chris Paul pick and roll. Uh, and I think both of those guys are going to feast. And then if they get Booker back, it just gets that much worse. I'm going to say Suns in five because of Booker being out and because I think Luka probably comes up with one game that's just insane. But that's it. Um, yeah, I, I got Suns in four, I think. Suns in four. Got to say it like dude. <laughs> uh, I, I just – I don't like this matchup for Dallas at all. Um, I think Aiden really – changes things. I think if like if Gobert could have done anything with the ball in his hands in that series, I think that's a very different series. Guess what? Aiden can do a lot with the ball in his hands. And Phoenix is way better, way better across the board in terms of their perimeter defense. Um, Luca will do Luca things, but I promise you, there is no way in hell Jalen Brunson is going off for 41 points or 31 points in the series. Not a fucking chance. Not a chance. Yep. Something to uh, consider if you're uh for a certain Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. That's our five for today. Uh, Stacy, thank you. Uh, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, Stacy Patton, 89 on Twitter. Uh, only thing I'll plug is Strickland draft coverage and look for me on uh, soon on Draft Strickland. Uh, there will be a pod I'm doing with Prez um, that uh, will drop soon. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. Looking forward to it. Uh, I, myself, have nothing to plug. 
So I'm just going to plug uh, all of the great work that has been done at the Strickland uh, and all of the great podcasts, articles, everything. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their weekend. And uh, fuck the Celtics. Uh, have a great week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.